Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I and a group of other men are meeting on a regular basis to explore the idea and the possibility and the practical implications of planting and building a Reformed church, a distinctly Reformed church, here in the Lewis County area. As a way to do this, as a way to find common ground with other believers, we have been listening to a uh, multi-part sermon series by R.C. Sproul on the topic of what is Reformed theology. Uh, Some of the previous talks have been on things such as uh, total depravity, unconditional election, uh, and different aspects of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. This will be our last talk on the RC, uh, the RC series of what is Reformed theology, and it's going to end with the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, or the other way of looking at that is that God preserves those whom he calls unto salvation. So we'll be listening to a short lecture by RC. It's about 22 minutes long all on the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, and then after the lecture comes the roundtable discussion. The men will all discuss what this theology means for us, how it can apply to our lives, why it matters, and where we agree with it, where we disagree with it, that kind of thing. This is all being done, as I said at the beginning, because we want to start a Reformed church here in Lewis County. If you would like to join us in our quest to build this church, to found this church, we would love to have you join our meetings. Uh, Right now we're meeting about once a week, and you can reach out to me at joecstout at gmail.com. That's a great way to get get in touch with me. Also, I'm putting all of these talks on my own website, which is joestout.org, and there is a button at the top that says podcasts. And if you click on that, there'll be a drop-down menu and you can click on Reformation Roundtable. That's where all of these talks live. And if you want to leave a comment on one of the talks or if you want to fill out the contact form, you can get in touch with me that way as well. We'd love to have you join us at our meetings. And with that, I hope you enjoy this talk by RC on the perseverance of the saints. We come now to our last session in this series on the nature of Reformed theology, and we've been looking at the acrostic tulip over the past few days, and we've made adjustments to the terms that are incorporated in it. In our last session, we looked at the concept of irresistible grace, and I mentioned that I preferred the term effectual grace. And before I leave that altogether, I just want to add a little concluding uh, unscientific postscript to it by reading a brief entry from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a historic doctrinal standard of Reformed theology dating back to 17th century England, where we have this reference to the doctrine of effectual calling. It reads as follows, all those whom God has predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace 
and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. Now, I make this reference once again to uh, the efficacy of the grace of regeneration, not to continue holdover from our last session, but as a bridge, a transition to the final point of the acrostic tulip, which brings us to the P in tulip and now I'm sure you'll be delighted to know I'm not going to change this letter. And the letter stands for the perseverance of the saints. However, even though I'm not changing the letter, I'm going to make a change in the word. I also think that that little catchphrase, perseverance of the saints, is dangerously misleading. Because, again, it suggests that the persevering is something that we do, perhaps, in and of ourselves. Now, I believe, of course, that saints do persevere in faith and that those who have been effectually called by God and have been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit endure to the end so that they do persevere. But they persevere not simply because they are so diligent in their making use of the mercies of God, but the only reason we can give why any of us continues on in the faith even till the last day is not because we have persevered so much as it is because we have been preserved. And so I prefer the term the preservation the preservation of the saints because this process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. Now, we read this statement from the Confession about God's effectively calling us to faith, that regeneration we call the divine initiative. And it refers to the first step in our transformation. Just as we enter into this world through the process of biological birth. Rebirth does not refer to the whole of the new Christian life, but rebirth refers to the beginning of it, the very first step, the step that is accomplished by God's initiative when he quickens our souls from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so we call this divine initiative the beginning point. And it's a beginning that is performed, again, as I say, by God. Now, what does Paul write to the Philippians? He says that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it to the end. Therein is the promise of God that what God starts in our souls, he intends 
to finish. And so the old axiom in Reformed theology about the perseverance of the saints is this. If you have it, that is, if you have genuine faith and are in a state of saving grace, if you have it, you will never lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it. <laughs> now, we know that there are many, many people who make professions of faith who then turn away and repudiate or recant their profession of faith. As John writes in the New Testament, there were those who left the company of the disciples. And John says of them, those who went out from us were never really with us. Now, they were with them in terms of outward appearances before they departed, before they left the cadre of Jesus' disciples. They had made an outward profession of faith, and Jesus makes it clear that that's possible to do even when you don't possess what it is you're professing. Remember, Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he even warns at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that at the last day of judgment, many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? And he will send them away saying, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Not that I knew you for a season and then you went sour and betrayed me. No, no, you never were part of my invisible body, of the invisible church. And the same kind of comments are made by Christ with respect to Judas, who is called the son of perdition from the beginning. And in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays that those whom the Father has given him will never be lost and that no one will ever snatch them out of his hand. And he thanks the Father that all that the Father gave to him came to him, and not one of them had been lost. And we could enumerate for the next uh, several minutes a host of similar passages in the New Testament where that assurance is stated by the apostles that the people who are dwelling in Christ have a future, a future inheritance that has been established from the foundation of the world, and that someday we will hear the Father say, Come, my beloved, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But again, the point I want to stress is that this enduring in the faith is not something that rests upon our strength. Even after we're regenerated, we still lapse into sin, and not, in, not only into sin, but into serious sin. And we say that, that it is possible for a Christian to be engaged in a very serious fall. And we talk about backsliding, we talk about moral lapses, and so on. I can't think of any sin other than blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that a truly converted Christian 
is not capable of committing. When we look, for example, at the model of David in the Old Testament, where David was surely a man after God's own heart, he was certainly a regenerate man. He had the Spirit of God in him. He had a profound, passionate love for the things of God, and yet this man not only committed adultery, but he also was involved in a conspiracy to have his lover's husband killed in war, which was conspiracy really to murder. Now that's serious, serious business. And we see the serious level of repentance to which David was brought as a result of the words of the prophet Nathan to him. But the point is that David fell, and he fell seriously as the apostle warns us against having a puffed-up view of our own spiritual strength by which he says, Let him who thinketh he stands take heed, lest he fall. And we fall, and we fall away from grace. Not that we fall out entirely, but we do fall away into very serious activities. None more serious than that of the Apostle Peter, who publicly with cursing, even after being forewarned, rejected Jesus Christ, swearing that he never knew him. A public betrayal of Christ. He committed treason against his Lord. Do you remember that before that occasion, when he was being warned of this eventuality, you know, Peter said this would never happen. He would never behave in such a manner. And do you remember the warning of Jesus, Simon, Simon, Satan would have you and sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you so that when you turn, strengthen the brothers. Now, he fell, but he returned. He was restored. And so his fall was for a season. And that's why we say that true Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never total and final falls from grace. Even in the church, when people profess faith and become involved in very serious and egregious sins, sins so serious that they are involved in church discipline. And even with the process of church discipline, it goes through several stages. The final stage of which is what? Excommunication. And I think that it's possible, I think we know that it is possible for a person who is truly regenerate, a true Christian, to be so caught up in sin that that person is called to the church, is involved in discipline, they're suspended from the sacraments, they still don't repent, all the way to the end of the list, which is excommunication, where they are shut off from the fellowship of the body of Christ and are to be treated as unbelievers, to be declared as unbelievers by the church. But even that act of excommunication is done with the hope that the person is a true believer who is now engaged in a very persistent
state of sin and that this final discipline of being cut off from fellowship in the body of Christ will be that which the Spirit of God uses to bring them to repentance. And we see that example found in the New Testament in the Corinthian situation with the incestuous man. You recall how the church was doing nothing about disciplining this man who was living a scandalous life until the apostle had to rebuke them and admonish them and command them to excommunicate him. Well, what happened when he was excommunicated? He repented, and he applies for readmission to the church, and now the church won't let him back. And so Paul had to go back again and say, now look, the whole purpose of that excommunication was to provoke him to repentance. Now that he's repented, let him back. Even as Christ welcomed Peter back into the fold after his treacherous act of treason. So again, the sin of the Christian can be radical and serious, but never total and final. So how do we judge people who have made a profession of faith, in our presence perhaps, and then we've seen them later repudiated? Well, the first thing you do is you make a judgment of charity, because you don't know the real state of their souls. That's the one disadvantage we have. I can't read anybody's heart. You can't read my heart and I can't read your heart. We're called to be discerning and wise and look at each other's actions and evaluate and discern accordingly. But even by the best of your actions, I don't know what your soul is and you can't know what is in my soul. And so we are called to be exceptionally forbearing with one another and to have that charity that covers a multitude of sins among ourselves in the fellowship of the church. But God does read the heart. And when God says that a certain person never was in a true state of faith, we can rest assured that that person never was in a true state of faith. Now, but what about if we happen to encounter somebody who is in the midst of a serious, protracted fall where they have repudiated the faith publicly? Can we then know that they're not Christians? No, because we don't know tomorrow. We don't know if they're still like David was before Nathan came to him. If anybody would have been by that bonfire when Peter says, I never knew the man, they certainly wouldn't have made the, the, the judgment that Peter was a Christian because they were catching him while he was in the midst of this serious protracted fall. But we can still hope with people who have left us that it's temporary and that they'll be back. And we just have to acknowledge that one of two things can be the case. One, either their initial profession was not authentic and not genuine, it was an empty profession of faith and that they never were believers, or that their faith profession was genuine and they'll be back. But we leave that to God at this point. But what the New Testament teaches us is that it is the Holy Spirit, again, who alone raises us from the dead, and He raises us unto eternal life. The whole purpose of God's election is to bring His people safely to heaven, so that what He starts, He promises to finish. And He not only just initiates the Christian life, but the Holy Spirit as the sanctifier, the convictor, and the helper is there to help 
in our preservation. Now, two important terms are told with respect to the work of the Spirit in the Christian's life that are related to this idea of, of the preservation. The one is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the second is we are given the earnest of the Spirit. Let's take the second one first. The term earnest of the Spirit is drawn from the commercial language of biblical days, and the only thing I can think of that's a parallel in our own day would be what we call earnest money when somebody's going to purchase a home. That when you make the initial contract, you give a little bit of money as, a, as pin money or as a down payment, which is a promise that you intend to get your loan and close the deal and pay the rest of the balance due. And to show that you're in earnest, you give this down payment. Now, I know that there are people who have paid earnest money who failed to follow through. Maybe they weren't earnest in the first place, or maybe circumstances came along that made it um, impossible for them to go the rest of the way. But beloved, when God the Holy Spirit is given to you by the Father as an earnest, when the Spirit Himself who is indwelling you is the Father's earnest, for your future, do you really doubt that the Father is going to fail to bring the final payment? We possess not a handful of dollars, but the indwelling Holy Spirit of God Himself as God's promise to finish the job. And not only does He give us the earnest of the Spirit, but He seals us in the Holy Ghost. When God writes our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. He doesn't do it with an eraser handy. That He does it for eternity. And that He seals us in the Beloved for all time. Now, finally, one of the reasons why we have confidence in our future is not only because of the ministry of the Holy Ghost that I've just mentioned quickly in passing, but most importantly because of the ongoing work of Jesus. Somehow we have a tendency, or sometimes I think we have the tendency to think, that when Jesus came and lived his life of perfect obedience and fulfilled all the demands of the law that we have failed to fulfill, and then by his passive obedience paid the price for our sins with his perfect atonement, that He's done everything that we ever need Him to do for us. But we forget that when He ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God and enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He was not just going for His royal realm, but He also entered into heaven as our great high priest. And the chief function of our high priest, as He tells us, is to intercede for us daily for the Father. Jesus prays for me, for my ultimate salvation. Not only did he pray for his disciples in John 17 that they would never be snatched out of God's hand, but he prays for us that we would be preserved. Now again, look at Judas and Peter. Both betrayed Christ. One was a believer, the other one wasn't. 
both of their actions were repugnant in the extreme. Total betrayal of Christ. Both were predicted by Christ. And when he told Judas what he would do, he ended those comments by saying to Judas, what you have to do, do quickly. And he dismissed him. But when he made the same type of prediction about the behavior of Peter, as we've already mentioned, Satan would have you and sift you like wheat and so on. Do you remember what he said? But Simon, I have prayed for you so that when you turn, not if you turn, so that when you turn, strengthen the brothers. My confidence in my preservation is not in my ability to persevere, but my confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with his grace and by the power of his intercession for us that he is going to bring us safely through. That one was my favorite one he's done so far. That was yeah. awesome. That was really good. Really encouraging. I feel like there's maybe not as much controversy uh, in this last point necessarily mm. as there could be uh, with different views or different thoughts. Uh, more so, it seems like the more you understand it, the more positive it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. That's kind of my thought. But. Yeah, you start with the bad news with total depravity and you end on a real high note that, hey, because of anything you've done, but Jesus, he's got you. He's, he's going to carry you through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always had trouble with a perseverance, persevering <clears throat> a believer from the standpoint of it does, you can see where works gets its way into mm-hmm. Christianity. And not that I've kind of struggled with that aspect as much, but it's just like, you know, where is my role where I am persevering? And where is God's role where he's sustaining that um, perseverance? So it's a... Uh, I don't know if it's confusing, it's just, it, you know, when you run into those passages, you're kind of going, well, I know I wouldn't be persevering if it wasn't for Christ interceding, but it does, it does make it difficult when you talk to a, a person that's kind of involved in religious things, and they want to kind of lean a little more towards the uh, things, the... Uh, it works for mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. very important and it's kind of leaves you a little bit kind of hyper piety I guess well I liked I liked the switch you know from perseverance to preservation of the saints I thought that was good in, in that it it rightly shifted the focus to God's sovereignty mm-hmm. but I'm actually the perseverance thing, language doesn't bother me at all because scripture is explicit that we must persevere like you do we this, must obey. we must obey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like, it's kind of like responding to the call of the gospel and choosing your salvation. Mm-hmm. We know that we don't, that when we choose <clears throat> it, it's a gift, but we still, you still have to do it. You still have to bow the knee willingly. And there's mystery into how that happens, you know, while God being perfectly sovereign and you bearing the responsibility to do it. But in the same way, perseverance, like, you know, 
seemingly faithful men fall away from the gospel every day, every single day. And we have to be on guard against that. But also trusting that Christ will preserve us. In the early church, too, they they struggled in a sense because there was a certain group of Jewish believers that... um, kind of got involved with saying, you know, you need to follow the circumcision like Moses did, and then they kind of settled the issue. Uh, Peter did a little bit with, and so did James, with, you know, why put this burden on him? We couldn't keep it. And then they decided, you know, stay away from forna- mm-hmm. fornication and mm-hmm. strangled things in blood and stuff like that. But, uh, but, but yeah, there's always that attack yeah. in the... A church or that controversy, mm-hmm. that, that fine line. How do we understand some of this stuff? Otherwise, we wouldn't have, I guess, mm-hmm. Baptists and, mm-hmm. and, and all the denominations so that we can kind of worship in peace with our <laughs> like-minded brethren. Sure. I guess. I remember at the mission once, I, uh, this guy came to my office and he said, one, one of the men going through the program and he said oh, we were just having a conversation and we started talking about you know grace and things like that and he said well you know I have a I have a system that I use and I said oh tell me about it and he says well you know if I do this I get he had a point system <laughs> and he was telling me about it and I, so I listened to him and, and this guy is this, this a sweet guy and just was trying to figure it out he says I got this big chart down in my room I said can we go look at it? He says, yeah. So I went down there and he, he had put this thing together where he was quantitating his works. Mm-hmm. And every day he needed to make a certain value. He would add it up. Wow. And it was very interesting. I said, all right. I said, all right, buddy, let's, let's go back to my office. We got to talk about it. We need to talk about mm-hmm. some things, you know, and let's open our Bibles and look at, look at those things. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I, I, it really struck me that the, the, the man had, was very earnest about what he wanted to do. He wanted to do well. He wanted to abide in Christ, and he wanted to do all this. And he was just exerting himself under his own strength, under his own power. Um, I've had people tell me, uh, talk about the armor of God in, out of Ephesians 6 and, and we'd be talking about it and they say, I said, well, how do you how do you do that then? You know, I'm just curious, how do you see it? And they would go through this process every, every morning, this is how I put on this and that and the other thing and it really, you know, I, I would listen to them and, I, and God bless them, seriously, they were very earnest about it but I said, you know, it's it's the armor of God. It's not our armor. It's it's and it's, it's not necessarily that we're appropriating that armor. It's it's God has equipped us with this armor so that we can go out and do what we need to do today. But it's His armor, yeah. you know. And so, like you were saying, we kind of get a little bit off track, and we can, you know, get into this legal kind of aspect of things. Um, you know, well, I'm not as, anti as a or anything, but prodigal son, you're just coming from that debauchery and you're just saying I'm so grateful <laughs> and then this other guy with his chart you know he's always been hanging around the father's seat I've done all of this stuff. Yeah, look yeah. at my chart yeah. and stuff like that so yeah. and he, was, hear you. he was well meaning but you yeah. know he was he was working it and earning it you know in his mind 
you know, outside of like controlling the populace through the Catholic Church and like telling people, oh, you could lose salvation if you do that, or if you don't tithe, or if you don't visit the confession, or whatever it might be. I, I don't, I don't hear a lot of people arguing for the antithesis to the preservation of the saints because it's pretty depressing news. If that was true, if you could lose your salvation, then you really start to get into the a position where. You know, you aren't sure if you could die. You know, I mean, can I die? Can I die right now? Well, I believe I can die right now, and I'll go to be with Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's that's my hope. That's my assurance. It's hard to make the case against that. Like, well, if you know, if if David had died before Nathan came and confronted him and he confessed, would he have gone to hell then? No, he wouldn't have. But you know, he wouldn't have whatever reward he received it would have been different because he didn't have a chance to repent and seek forgiveness. And, but it's not, it's not an issue of like, oh, you're now out because, oh, you crossed the line. You know, it's, there's no line. It's, the line was made, made and paid for by Jesus. And those who are his, they're, they're in, they're protected. Um, and so in that truth, go out and obey. Go out and, and obey the king and, and work out your salvation because it's your salvation. It's your salvation. God has given it to you. Work it out. It's, and you have the Holy Spirit to do that in. I like Hebrews. You know, we think about Luke 22 where he said, you know, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may remain strong. It wasn't, I, I haven't, I haven't, spurned Satan and told you know, and forbid him or forbade him to do this. Rather, I, I prayed that your faith would remain strong. And then in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, I like this, um, verse 23, it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Verse 24, But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no end. You know, it's Philippians one six. He for he who began that work in you will, he's going to carry it through. Um, it, it's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. You know, and what's a seal? What's a seal do to something? It, it identifies the owner and it guarantees the contents. You know, we've been sealed. And anyway, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful thing. I, I love what R.C. said. I mean, it really hit me because I read a blip on the internet. You know, I don't, I don't get TV at all. So I, whatever I see on the internet on my little homepage comes up. And, you know, anytime, anytime a Christian uh, personality renounces their faith, it's a huge, the media just gloms onto it. And it, there was a singer that renounced his faith. And I don't know who he was. I don't listen to very much contemporary Christian music. I can't remember who the gentleman's name was, but he renounced his faith. And, you know, when R.C. was talking about, they may come back. Oh, yeah. You know, that that really helps me. I think it was Dustin Kensrew. He was part of of Mars Hill. And he went to process theology, which is a totally... Anyway, he wrote, this guy wrote, amazing songs okay. amazing okay. like theologically accurate songs and then I actually had a really hard time singing his stuff now because I know who penned it okay. and it's like mm, you it's like that and you're Henry. like now you're going no 
I, I actually don't believe any of that that I wrote, which I mean, I guess it's a testament to God's ability to work all things for yeah. his good. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But th- th- what he said just helps me. Yeah. Because Absolutely. sometimes I find myself confounded or confused because I don't know, Lord, how am I supposed to feel about this? You know, um, anyway, uh, yeah. I, I, pre- I certainly appreciate what R.C. said about that. Yeah, I suppose, you know, when you have a guy like Josh Harris, yeah. who does the same he's, thing. He's not, exactly. And who, way, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I see myself there. Homeschool family, totally conservative Christian, like doing all the right things. And that here he goes off the deep end, divorces his wife, renounces his faith, you know, you know, marching in homosexual pride parades, and yeah, how does that happen? Yeah, you have. I mean, that's what I want. Like wheat. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the, the yeah. he goes in that with such confidence. Peter does, and then you know, it. That's <coughs> when I hear that it's a prayer from that I remember saying many times for my kids and for myself is you know. Yeah, Lord, you know, stay with me and you know, help me with that those those trials that I know are going to come because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing how you have such. I mean, I, I think of it in another way, like with relationships with people, where you know, you, man, we're we're best of friends, or you know, I really get along with that person, all of a sudden, boom, on a dime, what happened there? You know, it just all falls apart, and I think that's the beauty of experience. And uh, I'm definitely not the oldest person here, but you know, the longer you see that happen, you know, how often that happens mm-hmm. where. Um, those relationships fall apart and you realize that's uh, a very common thing even with our confidence that um, you, you really got to have that um, that bedrock that you can keep coming back to hey um, I have that hope in Jesus and and not just for myself but you know I think about the, so many of our friends uh, and uh, fellow Christians you hate to see that with Josh, was it Josh Harris? yeah mm-hmm. you hate to see it you go oh man you know because it's such an example and I just can see the devil laughing, going, see, I got this guy, unless later on he's going to turn back around again. But mm-hmm. uh, however that's going to work out, mm-hmm. uh, you can just keep praying for him. Yeah. I, 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 when I'm hearing that the, my problem with the first experience of the saints part has always been that um, falling away thing where, okay, are they coming back or not? And because I can't know their heart, it's a frustrating thing mm-hmm. to watch happen. It's like, well, maybe they're going to come back, but... Mm. Just don't know. And you know, the Bible's not not shy about addressing the reality. When Jesus spoke the parable of the sower, not only did he, you know, state the parable, but he actually explained it. You know, hmm. He said, you know, there's seed that's going to get carried away or choked out or whatever. And, you know, First John 2 says, those who leave us weren't ever of us. You know, I, for me, the, the, I have to, I need to be careful about, um, again, coming to an absolute dogmatic conclusion about something. That's why, like I said, mm-hmm. R.C. kind of helped me today. Right. I remember the story about Billy Graham and I think a guy named Templeton, Charles Templeton, who was a very, I guess, a very effective evangelist, uh, actually better than Billy Graham was. And um, uh, Templeton just <laughs> renounced everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, everybody was totally just slack-jawed right. by that. So, you know. Well, you think, I think about like Josh Harris. I don't know anything about him other than I see similarities. You know, I see like he was a little older than me, but I remember in high school and he wrote the book mm-hmm. about not dating anymore. And I just, it's kind of like, I know who he is, but he was a pastor. He had a lot of people that he shepherded and who 
they must be just devastated. Because mm-hmm. you think about like, what if Ravi Zacharias mm-hmm. came out and renounced his faith? You think about it, you'd be like, what, <laughs> what in the Lord, what are you doing here? You know, what, what, what in the world is happening? Well, and that's, that they t- and that's in the New Testament there too as well, where they talk about don't go after teachers, you know, go after Jesus. Mm-hmm. That it's just so easy to get tied up into uh, these wonderful leaders that have such mm-hmm. great you know, depth of knowledge and wonderful speaking mm-hmm. abilities. And people go, well, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta be at that church because that guy's there. Hmm. It's like you, you gotta be really careful yeah. of those. It's that cult personality type. Thing. Yeah, I was thinking more just along the lines of like, you know, like I look up to my father, right. and if he was to renounce his faith, it would be devastating to me. Not because it's like I'm of the cult of Frank, but because when the covenant body hurts, we all hurt together. You know, we weep with those who weep. And when people betray us, we're all weeping together over that. But I totally agree also with the cult of personality not doing that too. I look at that as a relationship like being ripped apart. It's kind of like when you hear see divorce happen with a married couple, you're going, oh, yeah. and they are one and you're mm-hmm. ripping that apart. Yeah. So, you know, say Frank was to go, you know, away and you have that relationship that's tied in there. Right. Yeah, it just cuts and pulls that much deeper. I can right. see that, yeah. 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 It never happened. You know, there's a there's a consistency that we've seen with all five headings, the T U L I P. You know, the sovereignty of God, the work of God, mm-hmm. the gift of God, the blessing yeah. of God, um, preservation the, of God, the preservation no. uh, that God gives us. I mean, all of it. I mean, I love the consistency of that. Yeah, and. Um, it's funny, my wife, uh, she listens, I think there's a Christian radio station that's local, and she was listening to uh, Every Man and Answer, and there's a couple guys on there that answer questions about the Bible. I think they're out of Calvary Chapel in Idaho, hmm. I think, Mike Kessler or somebody else. Well, anyway, Kate came home yesterday, and she goes, you know, I was listening to this, and somebody called in and asked them, asked them about Calvinism. And I said, oh, I said, I said, well, what did they say about it? They said... Uh, they were emphatic that Calvinism is an aberrant thing. Hmm. And I said, oh, did they give a reason why they were calling it an aberrant system or whatever? And they started talking about all the... Things, all the straw men. Hyper, <laughs> yeah. All the real hyper, you know, they right. don't believe in evangelism, this and that, all right. the things we've heard ad nauseum. I said, you know, that's really unfortunate. Because hmm. we, we were talking earlier about you know, diversity and things. Yeah. All we need to do is look at the look at the church as yeah. we understand it, the visible church or whatever, and see, you know, see the just the degree of denominations and things that are out there and how how I know I've been caught I can get caught up in it. I've been caught up in it. Yeah. You know, doctrinal differences and things like that 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 are secondary or tertiary that aren't core things. And I've, and I've been, I've gotten caught up in that. It was a function of my immaturity and my lack of, um, you know, maturity in the word of God and things. And thankfully, I think the Lord is, is brought, bringing me out of that. But, you know, I subscribe wholeheartedly to the importance of doctrine and things like that. And it's right. important to me. And you know, if, if I'm talking to another believer who may not agree with me on a secondary or, or tertiary issue, you know, I, 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 I would respect them if they if they are firm in their belief and why they believe what they believe, even though we may disagree mm-hmm. on either nuances or even you know straight up, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I love I love actually engaging um, 
whether it's online, just through people's, you know, the written word or whatever, just the arguments for Armenian modes of thought or arguments against Calvinism, because it's, it's helpful to kind of sharpen your own, like, you know, okay, let's see how it stands up under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But it seems like Arminianism is like the default position. It's what you just naturally fall into because it's, it's kind of mostly about yourself, you know, and free will is kind of the driving force behind mm-hmm. it. God is, I don't want to disparage what they're saying, God is still um, powerful and he's still God. But I think the, the argument that I've heard people use the most is that he's self-limiting. Like he limits himself in the interactions so as to preserve free will. And to me, once again, that, that, that is just another form of his sovereignty. <laughs> you know? if, I mean, it's still, I, I don't, I'm not persuaded by that argument, but, that's, but the few people that I can find that actually argue against it, that's the kind of some of the best arguments that I've heard for it. Most people don't argue for it because it's hard to argue for it. It's, uh, most people just kind of end up in that because it feels right feels right to have some semblance of control. Yeah, and, it, and there's an appeal there, yeah. you know, understandable. Yeah, sure. Um, why, why would we be surprised at that? Yeah. I'd, I'd be very curious, though, um, on, the, on the pushback side of those, the, the gentlemen that were answering that question, how much they clung to the last piece here perseverance of the saints mm, exactly um, because I think that that good news of perseverance only works if you have a God who is in absolute and complete control and yep. it's it's sort of a well I want to have my cake and eat it too where I chose to follow and the moment that I chose to follow therefore God will just keep my salvation the entire way like it, it sort of it, it it seems it seems it breaks funny. down it, it, it starts breaking down yeah. into sort of uh, again and I, I it's it's hard to not overly simplify a position like that but to suggest that it's sort of a God is a genie scenario where it's like okay I believed it, I, I I I chose to believe and then at that point God granted my wish of salvation and he. He can't renege on that now. So I was in complete control. And so for me, that that, that doesn't feel consistent with the character of God as you read it in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, I was kind of flipping through on the, on the perseverance uh, during, during that, just kind of looking through at other Protestant denominations that hold to that. I will at least give Catholics some credit that <laughs> they are at least consistent on their Armenian position, and which is to say that you can lose your salvation. You, oh, yeah. are con- you are constantly working out your salvation through fear and trembling, and your participation in the sacraments is how grace is uh, is infused into you. And if you commit a mortal sin, you're toast until you get rid of that mortal sin, which is why last rites Ooh. is so important to Catholics. So you, if you don't get your last rites on your deathbed, like there's a chance that you got a mortal sin that's clinging on to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you might go, <laughs> you might go out with a bunch of venials, right, and just end up with a long time in purgatory. But you know, if you end up with a mortal sin, you're mm-hmm. you're absolutely hosed. And so it's kind of interesting to that. I mean, again, it's it. I don't know if you want to say that you respect that sort of 
errant theology, but at least it's consistent. Hmm. At least it's right. consistent. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I kind of find it a little bit of a struggle where... And that's what we were rebelling. That was part of what the Protestant Reformation sure. was all about. Was was It was indulgences and there was all kinds sure. of things, but that whole Arminian doctrine within the Catholic Church was part of what became, made us Protestants. So there really probably should be more commonality amongst belief, amongst Protestants about that particular issue since it goes back to the Reformation, but, but continue. I kind of, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I mean, I guess it's just, it's, it's, inter- it's interesting that you would, that you would want to cling, you'd want to cling so tightly to that portion without acknowledging. And perhaps that is just in our inherent sin nature, right? There are areas of my own life where I've got incredible pride that maybe it's known or unknown. And this is possibly an area where you want to have that freedom of will because the Enlightenment period was sort of a, that, that, that's so infused into our culture that now it feels like, well, like I think we commented before too, this sort of idea of American individualism. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. What is that but pride mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and errantly placed in ourselves? So I think that that's, um, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a pride element that maybe goes unacknowledged in that, in that free will portion mm-hmm. of things, but they still want the, they still want the perseverance mm-hmm. aspect of it. Yeah. So. And, and the pride, and all, but also autonomy, too. Mm-hmm. You sure. know? And that just goes against everything. Somebody asked me once, it was a drive-by, so I knew I didn't have a lot of time. They said, well, what, what's this, what is Calvin? I said, well, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. You know, that's how much time I had to actually speak to them, because it was kind of like this thing. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean by this Calvinism thing? I said, well, it's, it's just a nickname for, for, for biblical truth is what it is, but God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, we, like you said, we limit God. We deprive God of the freedom that, he, that and the liberty that He has, mm-hmm. and so, um, man, I'm speaking generally in, in, about our, in our minds. In, we yeah. Do, yeah, in our minds, we do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good discussion. Do you have any other aberrant things you want to add? None are coming, you know, on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I do have one other thing that maybe adds to the idea of, um, you know, pastor falling away. Mm. I think that I've had a pretty unique situation where I've had a close family member that um, pretty, one would not call his life well-led. <laughs> um, and there have been times where uh, he said things that are completely and one hundred percent true, and it's kind of I think I think the challenge can sometimes be that truth can come out of the mouth of a sinner, and the truth can come out of the mouth of an unbeliever, mm-hmm. and I think that God uses those people, and I know that sometimes congregations can be crushed relationally because they are clinging so heavily to the individual that was up there maybe because of the 
their delivery or their charismatic nature, or maybe the, maybe the truth was resonating with them. Um, I think that there's a difference between the Holy Spirit working out a salvation in somebody and the Holy Spirit working through somebody for the benefit of his believers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that's something that is... Balaam's donkey. The, the donkeys can speak the truth. Or the rocks will cry out. If, right. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, if God, God can, God can make, make his truth known. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that sometimes, um, we can connect, we can, we can errantly connect, uh, salvation to somebody speaking truth. Mm-hmm. Like that their state of their soul must be, must be, you know, in the in the grip of God's hand, and yet you know, they, and they'll say these things, and then all of a sudden you see somebody like that, and you're like, oh, they've fallen away. Now we can work with a hope, and we would work with a hope that hey, you no, know, God, God has you know, God has this person, person we're going to keep praying for them. Um, we're praying for a repentant heart that would come back to you know that would you know return to Christ. Mm-hmm. But I think that yeah, I think you can st- I think you can have the other too, and mm-hmm. I think that's why sometimes people will get that confused where they're like, well, this person fell away, maybe they renounced and then they died, mm-hmm. right? And for all evidence, we would say that that person is that person you know turned away or was you know their deconversion story right was their death and you're like well just because they were speaking truth doesn't mean that they were actually committed yeah pharaoh i mean pharaoh uh, a couple of occasions said i have sinned against Mm -hmm. god i mean he said that Mm -hmm. balaam said it judas knew he was guilty and said mm-hmm. it, but you know, like you said, mm-hmm. there was an absolute lack of repentance. It was the they, sorrow, they just, sorrow they, that leads to death. It, so. They acknowledged, yeah. hey, I, I have sinned against God, you know, yeah. by not responding appropriately to plagues or whatever it happened, the situation happened to be, but there there was no repentance. Can you imagine hearing that out of Pharaoh, the leader of the most powerful, you know, group of people on the planet at the time, I have sinned against God. You know, your heart just lurches and goes, could it be? Could could he? Could God have plucked him up and out? You know, we how many times have we heard someone say say something that had a real uh, that gave us hope? Oh, there's something going on here, and then you know you look, and there's certainly no there's no fruit being born or anything like that. Um, yeah.